Gary, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I am doing well. Levi, we got you? Yes, sir. Spencer, you awake? Halfway. Whoa, Spencer coming Whoa. in hot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on with your audio, Spencer, but you're pretty loud there. Um, okay, so let's get going. We're doing this on a Sunday morning, the day after my uh, annual Kentucky Derby party. So uh, I'm a little sleepy, but I'm here. I've got my cold brew coffee. I'm ready to go. We're going to have a little whiskey on the weekends. And Levi, or, sorry, BJ sent out the whiskey this week, and it was in a, he sent it in a very interesting box. BJ, you want to explain what the hell this box was? Yeah, so um, in a previous episode, we had talked about uh, food that ends up in common areas and snacks and stuff like that in, in various offices. And I'd mentioned that uh, scientific companies send out snacks. And that's sort of one of the uh, exciting things when you order uh, sort of expensive scientific pieces. It's like you get snacks. And there, there's a, a balance sort of where you are in your career if you're more excited about the snacks or the uh, scientific instrumentation. Um, I'm about 50-50 because it's usually not for me. Um, and so these snacks come in these like bright orange boxes. And it's from a company named Thor Labs. They do lasers and a bunch of other optical stuff. And so we get these on a semi-regular basis. And they're these really nice, hefty boxes. And they're like the perfect size to uh, ship things in. Um, and they usually come with a handful of snacks. Um, yep, exactly. Uh, Lee is holding up a, a bottle of whiskey. And uh, they say like lab snacks for you know human treats or something like that. And it has this sort of creepy splash adorable little green uh, dog on it. And then after um, I got them all together, I kind of realized that they're the exact same box and I packed them slightly differently. Um, so I made sure that I needed to uh, label each one of those. Um, I actually had packed them all up and was about to seal them. I was like, oh crap, as soon as I seal them up, then I'm not going to know which is which and I can't like shake them or something like that while I'm trying to send them out. Well, I'm just excited about the day that we hit the right message board to actually go viral with this podcast, and you get contacted with a cease and desist from UPS. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's going to happen. Um, yeah, we're just going to get cease and desist from pretty much everybody and probably uh, a bunch of scientific companies for using their boxes and stuff like that. We are one Reddit thread away from you not being able to ship anything anymore. <laughs> okay, well, great. Um uh, I guess before we jump into it and start tasting some of those whiskey that you sent out, uh, we can talk about other things going on in the Megan Fox podcast channel. We are heavy in Game of Thrones season. Spencer and I are knocking it out, doing a reaction pod immediately after each episode and doing a, a more of a deep dive two to two and a half hour full kind of questions podcast later in the week. Spencer, it's Sunday. That means we're going to drink whiskey now, but you, you need to get, get a nap, untucker yourself. And get ready, because we're doing a reaction pod after the episode. Yeah, some of you have noted from my appearance, uh, the nap just ended a second ago. So, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to do daytime activities now, which for me on a Sunday is drinking now. Is so that we, called a nap or is that sleep? Well, he went to bed at like 4 <laughs> or 5 in the morning as his like normal schedule. So, so he's, you know, barely had a nap. I went to bed at 6.15, yes. A.M.? Yep. What were you doing? Uh... I was actually reading the fifth season. It was one of the last activities I was doing before I went to sleep uh, for the next Magnum podcast. So I'd like to say dedication was keeping me awake. Six o'clock. You know what? You and you and BJ would be great roommates because y'all could just tag out. 
Oh, God, we, we'd hot bunk it? That'd be the worst. <laughs> you only need one bed. God. Uh, well, so when did you start reading, Spencer? Because you say it was the last thing that you did, but I have a feeling that you started reading at, like, 5.30 a.m. I started reading at 4.45, yes. Okay. So, so before that? Uh, before that, uh, I had tried to go to sleep at about 2. Uh, okay. Maybe fall asleep for, like, an hour, and then had just gotten up and started browsing various Reddit and YouTubes, and... Uh, yeah. 85 years old just then. Yeah, Spencer, like, I, I need to introduce uh, some things in your life, like Benadryl or, or whiskey or something like that, because I feel like lying in bed for an hour or two is just... And then in the morning. Like yeah. So, so Spencer, uh, and this is coming from, from my own bias, but can we, can we narrate the sequence of events that happened from 9 p.m. until 2 a.m.? If you'd like, yeah, please. Because yeah. I would have been asleep. I yeah. did go to sleep at like nine nine thirty. Yeah, uh, I I just like how you say you know uh, to a to a, try to fall asleep, which to me is like oh my god, you're you're having a rager, you're your <laughs> dedication. Um, this is an insane situation. How did you get there? Um, yeah. but it sounds like for you it's just regular stuff. Levi would be four uppers in at that point. I was oh, gonna say much. before we get too far in, uh, why don't we pour some whiskey? Sure. Um, yeah, and then let's hear about what the hell Spencer did from nine till two. So we're starting out with uh, American Prairie. Uh, so it's HWAP. Um, this is from High West, um, who are essentially blenders, um, and weirdly enough, they're out in Utah, but they're a surprisingly good uh, distillery blendery out in Utah with quite a number of good things, and this is sort of their uh, quiet offering. Um, it's essentially their mixer level stuff, but it's also drinkable on its own. Um, I think the price point's around like 25 or 30. So we are, just to be clear here, we're drinking Utah whiskey. Yes. It's mixer quality. Yes. Uh, aren't you glad you got up for this, Spencer? <laughs> I mean, actually, you undersold it. This, this sounds pretty good. Yes, yeah, it good. is pretty good. Pretty good. That's what I was trying to tell you. It, it is pretty good. It's a pretty good whiskey, but this is their sort of close to the entry point, they say, can be drunk alone or, or it's mixed. No, that was wrong. That's good. That is okay. perfectly smooth. I, I've got no complaints about that. Yeah, I so, a solid B. So, Terry, to sort of follow up from a, a previous discussion point of ours, if we had this or Bullet, which would you go for? Because this oh, is I right in, in that vein. Exactly. I think it's like kind of on a level, right? It actually seems a little smoother to me than than Bullet. Um but it's not as interesting. Agreed. Agreed. So I'd, I'd put it maybe just under bullet, but just by hair. Yeah, Leap, I think you're dead on it. Uh, it is smoother to me than bullet. It just doesn't have much in the way of flavor. Maybe that's like a hint of caramel, but otherwise it's just, it's kind of bland. But, but there's so nothing that's disagreeable like, right? about it. That's what you like, right? I, that's why I'm not complaining. I'm just kind of <laughs> I'm offering adjectives in a way I don't usually do for y'all's amusement. Yeah, so, I mean, I'd say there's a little bit of, like, cinnamon on the back end, but, you know, for the most part, it's just a very pleasant bourbon. Um, I, I guess, you know, we'll put that in quotes. Uh, yeah, it says bourbon, so there's probably 51 or 50.5% corn. Um, but, but, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, there's not much to it, and that's what I'm looking for. I'm going to do Spencer. a on the Whiskey on the Weekends pod. I'm actually going to mix it. 
Okay. What will? I'm putting Coca-Cola in. I, I sort of want you to make a mint julep, but... Coca-Cola Classic or Diet Coke? I'm going to I'm gonna pass on the mint juleps until next year. <laughs> so, Spencer. Mm-hmm. So, about 9 p.m., you're Nine. thinking about having lunch. Uh, about 9 p.m., Bridget and I are still, are still out at dinner. Where'd okay. you got to? Where'd you got to? Melty Pot. Date night. We went out to a local burger joint. It's actually near us. It's a nice little greasy spoon that offer that's it's the kind of greasy spoon where if you ask for a lettuce and tomato, they have a separate they have them in separate little plastic bags underneath the counter. They just hand to you and expect you to put it on your own burger because that's Ew. what they do. You, uh, you say like that's supposed to evoke something other than revulsion. Spencer, I, I, what did you get? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. So you at nine o'clock, you're out at a burger joint. What nine o'clock? We, Bridget and I had left at like eight forty-five. We went over to the burger joint and we had uh, two half-pound cheeseburgers, two orders of fries, and a strawberry milkshake that we shared. That is the most adorable thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. Did you get I, two straws, or did you, you like pass it back and forth? You're uh, a we, better American than all of us. We had. We had it with a spoon, so we didn't make rather thick milkshake. So we were sh- we were sharing spoon the spoon together. And then afterwards, uh, Spencer did you feed her? Monica went out and solved crime. <laughs> I did not feed her, no, BJ. Uh, we then sat in one of their extra large booths next to the jukebox, and it really was next to the jukebox, um, <laughs> which wasn't working. We were very disappointed about. Um, and we pulled out a Kindle, and while we were sharing a milkshake and eating our burgers, we read Dracula together in this booth, in this kind of uh, 1950s, this little greasy spoon next to the jukebox. And we hung out there for about 45 minutes eating. Um, then we came home and read some more Dracula together, because that's the book that we're reading together. Um, I, today I didn't read to her. We were just kind of holding the Kindle and just nodding to each other when we finished the page. And... Um, did that for about an hour or so. Um, Wait, so you spent two hours we, at this burger joint? No, no, no. We, it was after we came home. We oh, okay, gotcha. After you we, came back. Okay. We, we cuddled up on the couch with the dog laying across her lap and read some more together. Um, do you have like, house flippers? Because like, I feel like you need house flippers to actually do that. I've got about three varieties of a sandal and flip-flop that are next to every doorway in the house. So or do you just double up on socks now? No, I do not wear socks in the house much. <laughs> I did. I, I did, but then Bridget actually started getting annoyed that I was leaving socks in every room when I would leave the room. <laughs> well, that's on brand. Yeah. Um, from there, um, Bridget uh, browsed her various Reddit threads that she likes to check, including writing prompts, while I played a couple video games for a little while. And then we cuddled up for a period, and then the story that you heard started. I, I still don't understand how that's like four hours, but but fair enough. I feel like what we're doing here is like we're we're enjoying this, but it might not be good radio, but I might not care. <laughs> You're learning something here. I can't, but let's so say you went out to, you you left the house, went to 1962, had a burger and a shake, let's put something good on the jukebox, came home and then did coordinated reading? Uh, that that was uh, about two and a half hours or so, yeah. Never changed, Spencer. You, uh, you surprised <laughs> me every conversation. You ask, I entertain. I, well, so, like, 
previously described, you know, when you talk to Levi, he, he zigs when you expect him to zag. I think Spencer zags harder than any of us think possible and reasonable. No, no, no. He, he, he doubles down on the lane that he's in. Like, yeah. he has a lane, and then when you think that, you know, maybe he'll, he'll, he'll not go down that lane, he goes, nah, fuck it, I'm, I'm going 60. Um, I'm going 100. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, so Levi's and Alex. And a milkshake. So, Levi and I are on the same racetrack, and Levi's just zigging instead of zagging. I'm on the racetrack alone wondering where the hell Spencer is, and he's three states over. <laughs> not even on the same page at all. Like, I don't know where he's coming from. Like, he went to bed at 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> what? Oh. Here's fun too. The video game I played was in a uh, virtual simulator bartender game. What? Spencer, are you just trying to be the most interesting man in the world right now? <laughs> I'm just telling you what I did with my day. Because you're Simon Valhalla, but with various numbers thrown in there. You can look it up. It's actually a fun game. Interesting. <laughs> I don't think it will. <laughs> <laughs> if we're uh, talking about video games, I will say that I do like. Days Gone, which I'm playing now. That's a good game. But I, I will have to say, um, the way they handle the, the fuel efficiency of motorcycles is absolutely insane. So for people who don't, don't know, this is a game where there's a zombie apocalypse and you have to survive. Um, you drive a motorcycle, which when I saw that, I was like, okay, that's great. Motorcycles, super fuel efficient. You can go forever. Don't need a lot of fuel. Perfect. Why haven't I seen this in, in, in sort of zombie movies or et cetera before? Um, that thing, you go 100 yards and you use 3% of your fuel. This is, this is impossible. No. <laughs> it's like the absolute inverse of what you'd expect because I, I saw the concept and it's always genius. I'm not going to have to worry about fuel anymore. But, yeah, it's, it's a fun little game, a little stealthy game. Um, so, Spencer, how did you discover your little virtual bartending game? Like, are you... Are, <laughs> we're, we're trying to learn more about drinks in general and figured that the best way to do it was to play a, a game. Uh, before you answer that, Spencer, I would just like to point out how Levi phrased that question. Your little bartending game. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead. I like games that have a very heavy story focus, um, and it was recommended on a variety of uh, Reddit threads in our games uh, for a while now. And then I saw it on Steam and decided to pick it up, and while it doesn't have much in the way of gameplay, you're basically just making drinks while listening to people and talking to people. It has a nice little fun story with working characters, and I quite enjoy it. You would be a good bartender, Spencer. You'd be a great bartender. I think you'd be a great bartender if somebody else was pouring drinks. If I was just providing conversation? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'd be good talking. Well, I mean, you, you've been doing it for years now with Mangum, but talking to a bunch of drunks. <laughs> I could aspire to that job. I could. Right. Okay. Well, guys, I don't have a heck of a big agenda today, um, but I did want to talk about a couple things. Uh, one is, Levi, you were here with me, so you saw what happened, but uh, BJ Spencer, did you follow what the hell happened at the Kentucky Derby yesterday? I saw it on the news, right. but that was about it. So you saw that a horse was disqualified. Yes, I, I saw a horse that was disqualified because it somehow blocked another horse at some point, and then the second horse that was like a length and a half, two lanes back or something like that, like won because they disqualified yeah. it after like 10, 20 minutes of, you know, just sitting and, and talking with each other. So I just imagine that being like the worst 20 minutes of television. 
Uh, I don't know. I was really happy that that your girlfriend came over yesterday for the party, BJ, because she was able to sort of like look at the footage and be like, okay, yeah, that's legit. Like she sort of signed off on the disqualification. <laughs> so like I felt like that was like that carried some weight. Like I was a little on the fence until she was like, oh yeah, that should happen. Okay. Didn't the winning horse have some just utterly obscene odds going forward? Sixty-five to one. To one. Good God. Woo. And Levi took my money yesterday. I lost first time in years. So almost uh, Cersei odds. That's happening, Lee. Get ready for it. No, I already have that money in the uh, in the revenue column in my QuickBooks. He's got it invested in in, in cryptocurrency. Yeah. So, uh, for our listeners that don't also listen to the GOT Got Questions podcast, uh, Spencer and and, uh, Lee have a fairly large series of bets going uh, based on Game of Thrones outcomes. And uh, one of the ones that that Lee is very confident in is their uh, Cersei sitting on the throne bet? I don't know. Yes, at the end of it, Cersei's still being queen. Gotcha. Yeah, essentially the series concluding with Cersei being the ultimate victor. Uh, I've got, what was it, 30 bucks on that? Uh, yeah, but 10 to 1 odds. So yeah. It pays out 300. I did beat you, though, because I, I took the uh, the army of the uh, of the living in the, the Winterfell battle, so got you there. Yeah, we had a few bets that were uh, applying to this most recent episode that went nowhere, like Grey Worm being the first to die. Got that one wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I picked Jorah. That didn't happen either. Yeah, so so a lot of death and a lot of uh, predictions in Game of Thrones are still uh, still out there, but but yeah. But anyway, yeah, it was just yeah, sort of yeah. weird. Like I know not everybody's into horse racing. I'm not really. I kind of get that way around the, the Triple Crown, but sure, I mean party. Yeah, but it was kind of nuts. Like for the horse to like they put the bed of roses on him and like <laughs> around, and then they just rip the bed of roses off and like nope, you're just going. Very Steve Harvey moment. Ah, yes, I did make that joke. Glad I'm in uh, well-worn paths here. Cool. All right, well, and yeah. then the other thing I was going to talk about, and hopefully you guys have some, some thoughts on this, is we were talking about hockey because the Carolina Hurricanes, I was in North Carolina, Carolina Hurricanes swept to get into the, I guess, Eastern Conference Finals or something at the NHL. I don't really follow hockey that close. But we were talking about, like, sports that are more fun to watch in person as opposed to on television, because I firmly believe that hockey is much more fun in person. Baseball, of course, came up in that same vein. But I was also thinking about, like, well, what, like, live events. Like, sports can be included, but it can also be, like, a production or something. Do you really need to see live, as opposed to just watching on your television? That's an interesting question. And it was funny that you brought up uh, hockey, because when you were – Initially talking about hockey, I was like, well, the only thing that I can add to a conversation about hockey was I was listening to an NPR story recently about female professional hockey players, and they're trying to join the NHL, and I feel like that's not a particularly interesting story, and it only confirms that I am an NPR listener, as you know, people probably would expect. <laughs> Pretty um, much. But in terms of um, watching live, I think what I also want to toss in there is um, – audience watching as opposed to watching alone as another uh, sort of dichotomy, but, but something that, that I think is very, very different. Um, and I don't think, I, and I think honestly audience watching, it's essentially two or more people 
and there's a very different experience of watching things alone and watching things with somebody else or a larger audience, and then also live versus not. And um, what reminded me of this so so uh, concretely was when you guys are talking about your watching of Game of Thrones and how you react to it. And uh, Levi and I had talked a really long time ago about watching a series called Girls. And I think that there are types of experiences and humor and things like that that are very different when they're shared. And uh, through a lot of these, I've watched them alone. And I feel like I have a very different experience because of that. And so there are a lot of things that I think I don't enjoy as much or go back to in the same way that other people might when they're watching in group. Yeah, and we've talked about um, stand-up being that way. Uh, oh, yeah. You really don't want to watch stand-up alone. But I, I'm going to throw another one in here. Um, this, is, this is yet another podcast that we recorded that got lost uh, to time. But Spencer, uh, Sarah, and I did a uh, review of musicals mm. a that actually got screwed up and we never were able to release it. But I would say musicals are that way. I, I want to see a musical in person, and I want it to be around other folks. I, it does nothing for like, and I, and I love going to musicals, but like just me sitting in a room by myself watching on television. Yeah, and I also think that um, even movie productions of musicals lose a lot when they're not in an audience, because I think there there are there are a lot of movies that are fun to just sort of watch alone. Um, and you can still enjoy them, you know, sitting in your living room or whatever. But I, for whatever reason, I think musicals are ones that just don't quite hold up in that way. Um, and there have been, I think, more and more productions that are either musicals or somewhere like that, especially like in the um, Disney has a bunch. And then there are a handful like somewhere in the 90s or 2000s, like the Chicago and stuff like that, where... Um, Moulin Rouge. Yeah, Moulin Rouge. Thank you. Yeah, that was the uh, sister uh, movie for that. Um, where it's just not the same, and which is kind of weird to me that something that you're complete, you're almost completely passive for, has such a different experience when there's, you know, even one other person. Um, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I still need to do that. Um, Lee was just holding up a. Uh, I believe playbook for Hamilton. It was a little fuzzy. Um, and so uh, one of my favorite musicals is uh, Man of La Mancha. And I've seen the, uh, I've seen the movie um, and I've watched it myself. I've watched it with friends and I've seen a couple of live productions and I just get so much more caught up in it with a live production. And then watching the movie is fun. But like when I've watched it alone, it's just like, all right, it feels slower and it feels like, all right, well, I know where it's going and I don't get as caught up in it. Yeah. I, I, I you know, definitely think that musicals are like that. For me, the big one was Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's like a rock opera about a transvestite. Um, but watching it with people, especially like where I watched it. So I watched it in Deepak, uh, which is a Durham Performing Arts Center. It's a very nice performing arts center in downtown Durham, but there's a lot of, like, like old, frankly, old people who just have season tickets, who just go, because that's their, their thing to do, and they were not prepared for the rock opera about a transvestite, and <laughs> <laughs> journey, like, it, it, and it was so fun, Sarah and I, just watching old people just pour out 
as they were talking about, like, you know, this guy's, like, botched, you know, gender, uh, like, switch surgery or whatever. It gets very graphic, and these old people were just running out in droves. <laughs> Part of the experience. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed about my time at University of Illinois was they had a really nice performing arts center, and because I was a student, I could get tickets to pretty much anything between 10 and 20 bucks. And so they had um, some operas and concerts and things like that that were just super inexpensive. And because it's the university and has a relatively nice performing arts center, I think that was sort of like a pass through of a lot of uh, companies that, you know, did something up in Chicago and like had one more thing. And so I, I'm actually sad that I didn't do go to more shows there because they they were really nice. Well, BJ, when you inevitably move back to the Triangle, you can go to Deepak with us. Yep, that'll be nice. Levi, anything to add to this? I think you guys have covered most of it. Um, <laughs> I will say, um, taking the inverse, there's a type of thing that I like to watch by myself uh, that, that is sort of scary or suspenseful movies. I really prefer to watch that by myself. Like I, I really like watching, I, I, I like watching Game of Thrones with my friend, but I really liked watching last episode by myself because she didn't want to stay up uh, because it, it, it's, it was far scarier. The first 10, 15 minutes were far more suspenseful, dramatic. There's, there's no one around you to give you comfort, either you know, actual comfort or just to be another person in the room. Um, and so that horror movies, suspense movies, I, I, Occasionally go through binges of like '90s suspense movies. They don't really make thrillers anymore. Um, like the the mid '90s to, to early aughts, there were sort of three of sort of mid-budget, thirty million dollars thrillers that were awesome. Um, so I got one for you. Good. Did you watch the Mothman prophecies? I did not. Is it good? That that is exact same vein. Like turn the lights off, watch it alone. It's like I think it was released in like 2001. Yeah, so I, I will put that in the queue of things to watch because I love that, that genre, right? Um, of just like being terrified or, or, or sort of on the edge of your seats by yourself, no one around to give you any sort of psychic comfort. Um, that would be the inverse of all, all the discussion because I mean, all the things you guys have brought up that much better to watch live. Um, but there are things, uh, a few slivers of things that if you're into those types of genres, that they are better to watch by yourself. You can rewatch them again with someone else and it's interesting, but. Fundamentally, it's a, it's a solitary experience, right? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, question for you, Levi. Did you watch – I know you, I, I presume you watched Get Out. Did you watch that alone or with other people? Uh, Get Out, I watched alone. Yeah, me too. And it's funny. Like, I'm, I'm like, historically terrible at jet lag. Like, I mean, if I, I go to a different time zone, it takes me, like, days. And so Sarah and I went to vacation in Hawaii a couple years ago. And, like, the first or second day I was there, I mean, I was completely off. And I got up at, like, I was, like, on a Spencer sleep schedule. Like, I, I was up at a weird time. And it was, like, 10 o'clock in the morning, and I was wired. And there was out doing normal things at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I felt like I needed dinner. And I turned on Get Out. I had never seen it before. What? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, I can. We okay. can now. Things got sideways. Okay, anyway, I, 
I started watching it, and like 10 minutes into it, I like shut the door and turned the lights off. I was like, I this I have to have that experience about just what you were talking about. Like, I need this to be, I'm alone, it's dark, and I'm just freaked out for a while. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Like, I, I completely get it. And so this kind of reminds me, like, I don't like being in crowd, like in crowds and and among like audience, not audiences, but like I hate going out to bars when they're crowded. I hate that experience when there are a lot of people all talking. Um, scientific meetings like are just the worst because it's kind of like a crowded bar, but like ten to fifty times that size and everybody's talking, and I just don't like that that hum of. Uh, just people chatting, but I feel like the experience of like a regulated audience is like so much better. And it's funny because I don't often love live music because it's it in terms of like a more popular band, whereas like symphonies and stuff like that, everybody's silent except for the old people that have to cough like all the time. And like with other live music and other bands, people are like, singing along when they kind of feel like it or like hollering a little bit or or some people are chatting and it's just like that's great but it'd be super awesome if every everyone would be quiet because people are there to hear the band not like your rendition and and I know I I sound old and crotchety but it's just like I think that's why I like symphonies and that live experience where everybody's just enjoying the music together rather Mm -hmm. than the music's loud enough so if somebody sings, like not everybody else can hear it. And um, so fairly recently, my girlfriend and I went to the Orange Peel in Asheville. And it's a cool venue and I like it. And we saw something that was sort of very on brand for me, which is uh, Chris Dealey's band, um, at least in some ways. And, and it was fun and it was nice. I didn't really know the songs that well, but it was also, it was just a little bit too crowded, and then people were singing quite a bit, and it was just like, all right, that's great, but I really don't care about anybody else. Okay, so like that. So I've got a comment, but I want Levi to audit my comment, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. So I think you're talking about, when you're talking about live music that's not an orchestra, I think you're talking about rock music, where you can kind of sing along, but if you go to like a rap concert... Yeah or hip-hop concert, people generally don't sing along until you hit, like, a chorus or, like, a, you know, a, a repeatable line. Yeah. While sometimes when you're at a hip-hop concert, like, it sucks because you have a bunch of people on stage and they're all screaming different things, but if you actually have an act where it's just, like, one or two people or whoever is actually doing, like, the, the, the who is actually the lyricist, just, yeah. you know, you don't get a lot of that sort of, like, everybody trying to sing along. Levi, you've been to, like... 40,000 more hip-hop concerts than me. Did I just say something crazy? No, you're generally right. I would say you're, you're more generally right for people that are, that are less good at performing. Because that's something that if you, if you go to a lot of rap shows, and I haven't done in many years, but like when I, was, when I was younger, I used to go to rap shows all the time. And uh, the younger artists generally, as a rule, were terrible, terrible performers. Um, like, god-awful. They're, they're interrupting things. There's no flow between sets. They want to jump in here and do a freestyle at an inopportune moment. Um, they start in the back. They're, they're all over the place as opposed to like some of the best shows I've been to are way past their prime playing the hits, you know, <laughs> older, older rap artists like KRS-One, MOP was a great show. Um, these sorts of artists that, it, that, that know what they're doing. Like I imagine the Roots are, are fantastic live. 
they know exactly how to how to play a show. I have seen the roots. They are really good. And they, they actually like they, they will have long periods where there's no no like lyricist. Like they're just, mm-hmm. they're just jamming. So it's like a it's weird combination of like Wu Tang and like fish. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I, I guess I need to, to choose better concerts, and and I've been figuring out how to uh, add a add some rap concerts or, or rap performances into my uh, the things that that I go do, and actually one of the things that I've been looking at, and I really should do, and I kind of want to go with somebody, but I might just go alone, is um, the San Diego Symphony is hosting Common. Oh, Levi would love that. Oh, well, yeah, no. <laughs> you know, he's an artist. He's not just a rapper. <laughs> this is very much called back to, to college days when I was really in love with Common. Um, I do remember you having Common uh, printouts, not even posters on the wall. I think that was something that, that, that uh, Doug put up, in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> but it did get left up there. Like, it wasn't a... I'm not okay with this. It's coming down. Well, it's also my personality, which is like, I'm not, I don't care about that stuff. Um, when I started working at, at my current company, uh, I left my computer unlocked. And as a sort of hazy ritual, they put up um, a, a desktop background of um, my little ponies. Um, yeah. And I just kept it's it there. Still there. Six okay. Uh, boss, was like, boss move, Levi. I you probably didn't mean it as a boss move, but that's a boss move. When they think that they got you and you're like, okay, cool, I'll just keep it. Um, but anyway, Common is great. Um, I haven't listened to a lot of his music recently, so I, I don't know how, how he'd be, but he, he fits that model of a person who's an older performer who's done a lot of shows over a lot of years and understands how how to run an audience and how to play to an audience and, and keep yeah. them engaged and, and, and keep their you know flow being there. I mean, I, I imagine... I'm not into to rock at that level, but I imagine the young young rock bands are in the same way. That it's awkward. It's certainly awkward. Well, like, like growing up when, when with Terry. Did you ever go to like some of the shows that Wesley and them and, and John Powers and those those folks would play? And yeah, and it was awful. But their mu- their music wasn't that bad when. No. And this is a local band from Elizabeth City, North Carolina that we we knew just through folks and acquaintances in high school. And, but it, that was like the Blink One Eighty Two era, and that pop punk thing was popular. And they actually were pretty good if you listen to their recordings. But yeah, their live shows were just garbage. Yeah, I mean, I also want the experience of going to something put on by the San Diego Symphony, and I have this feeling that there are going to be like season ticket holders that are like eighty you know, in their 80s and just show up to a common concert. And that's just going to be, you know, kind of incredible. Right. Yeah. Like like the, the 80-year-olds running out of head exactly. and angry. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Uh, Spencer. Well, we you have go to a lot him. of live music. You, you're muted right now, buddy. <laughs> Actually, I don't really go to a lot of live music. All right. It, it's randomly turning mute on and off. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, I do actually go to a lot, lots of bit of live music, and I say how much I would agree how much um, better the experience can be from it. Uh, one example we had is um, one of Casey's bands, Mount Mariah, mm-hmm. came down to South Florida, and I'd listened to some of these before, and it was <laughs> one I liked it, but seeing them perform in concert was wonderful. Uh, there was a little lounge kind of club that was nearby that we went down to see, and we we're up on the railing looking down watching them, and 
music was great. It was a wonderful experience. But one of the things I particularly enjoyed was just watching Casey and just how much he was in his element and how much he was enjoying himself. And I had a shared experience with that from watching the live performance. That was just great. So our, our friend Casey, uh, for, for everybody else, um, sure. he's, he's a lovely guy, fairly quiet, fairly unassuming, um, and uh, sort of a little bit on the outskirts of our, our group at Mangum. But um, I think we all have seen him uh, play live at least once or twice. And he's in his element. And he's almost like a different person when he's up there. And so that that was another. And, like, I kind of forgot about that. But that was one of my favorite live music experiences is, like, being able to see one of my friends perform. Yeah. Is so awesome. Yeah. And I would like to point out that, like, I play – so Casey plays the bass. And I played bass in high school and in college a little bit. And I'm from a small town in northeast North Carolina. And at the time in high school, I was one of the better bass players in the area. So I was like picking up like just, you know, shows with random bands who needed bassist. Um, and I'm going to equate this to a time when I was playing pickup basketball um, at UNC and Rayshon Terry came in. <laughs> Rayshon Terry uh, is a guy that was drafted by the Dallas Mavericks from UNC and was never allowed to play because Dallas is awful. And he actually was a really good basketball player, right? So I always felt, felt like I was a good basketball player until Rayshon came in. And I, was, I like watched him. I was like, oh, shit. I did the same thing with Casey when he was playing the bass. Like, I watched him, and I was like, oh, shit. shit. Like, three-pointer that Rayshon dreamed. Like, I'm just not at all. Like, this is really good. And you're right. He's, he's this really unassuming, sweet guy. But when you watch him, when you watch him he, he really seems to enjoy himself. But going back to um, the conversation about you know, the types of music, a lot of music that you go to, it's be frustrating because the audience is kind of in your ear. I think rock yeah. really sets up well to that. And even if you have a rock, a rock band that's really good, you know, you know, having a, a, a very professional performance, the music is sing-alongable, right? Like, so you're going to still get that. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I equate it to, like, one of my favorite bands, The Killers. You can't go to a Killers concert and people don't sing along. Like, they're always going to do that, regardless of what the people yeah. Um, another example I don't I agree with you, Lee, in terms of just how much the shared experience can matter. Um, when we talked about Hamilton, we all agreed that the like original cast recording that we'd all memorized before we ever went to see it perform was better. Singing was better. The performances were probably better. But how little that mattered, how incredible the experience was to seeing it perform live, to seeing all of the actual acting, all of the actual performance on stage in terms of what the stage and the lights and the music experience of being there added to it that so, it the technical perfection in terms of the recording you listen to but it can be only just a shallow version of the experience of actually seeing it performed so the question now becomes levi bj have you seen hamilton live no i have not okay so uh, they, they they don't know but I, I agree with you spencer that you know i kind of had it in my head i've been listening to the soundtrack on repeat for like a year i'm gonna be bored uh, at the Hamilton performance, and I actually went on the night of the midterms and uh, the 2018 midterms. So I was like furiously checking my phone. I thought like I was like, here's the confluence of events, right? Like it's late. I've listened to this soundtrack for a year. Plus, I'm super interested in the midterms. There's no way I'm gonna like this performance, but I was still super engaged. To your point, Spencer, like, yeah, you've heard the soundtrack. The soundtrack's really good. But the actual live performance, being there with folks who were invested in it, like you were, it was, yeah, it sucked me in. Mm -hmm. uh, two other brief comments of other stories you guys provided. Uh, 
Levi, I very much agree about the experience of horror films, but with one caveat of where I, I think a key part of the experience of horror films is the element of lack of control about the director setting the tone for how you experience it, and you have to kind of experience it in that way for it to work. I can't really do that unless there's someone else there or I'm seeing it in the theater. Because the impulse of my part to just pause and get a drink or pause and continue making dinner, which just wrecks the horror experience in my view, is just very high. Like when I went to see It in theaters versus when I showed Bridget here at home, A, completely different experience because I'd already seen it before, but B, we stopped midway through to have an intermission and we made dinner. And I will always do that in circumstances of where either I'm in control of how it's being watched or I'm just watching it myself. And so it just doesn't work in the same level that way. So actually, funny enough, like I'm I'm going to go back a little bit on my uh, not like liking being in crowded bars, but it wasn't particularly crowded bars. So there's a, a brewery near me that's probably one of my favorite breweries. Like I go there relatively often. Um, they had a uh, May the 4th Star Wars theme going. Um, and so everything on tap had a Star Wars name, and they made a bunch of little puns, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and I go there way too often, so I kind of know uh, the the owners. Um, and they had uh, different Star Wars movies, basically ones that, that they, they could stream on Netflix going. And um, it was really enjoyable to be around other people that, that appreciated it and also kind of having it in the background and it being like, oh, this part's a lot of fun because X, Y, Z happens. And then we all like get quiet for a little while and like watch that happen and then like go back to our conversation. And I think that's like a, com- a third genre of viewing that I also weirdly like where you've seen it before, you kind of know what's going to happen and you just sort of hang out with people and then like, go and uh, watch, like, the interesting parts. And I kind of assume that's how your derby party kind of went. Um, and I feel like that's how a lot of our get-togethers where there's something sort of also going on, like New Year's, where, like, we'll watch the ball drop and the craziness that was the insanely drunk guy on, like, MSNBC or whatever it was this past year. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, uh, no, that's exactly how the derby party goes. Like that's why it kind of sets up well to a party is that you're there, you're just having food, talking, and then there's like this like five minute stretch where everybody's super locked in, but then you're you're out again. Yeah, um, and Levi, I will completely. Yeah, sorry, uh, Levi. Question for you: When Spencer was explaining how he watched it at home, where he did half a horror movie, stopped and made dinner, like it, you watch horror movies, to me that sounds completely foreign. Right. I don't understand anything about it. Um, it's so weird. <laughs> I've certainly watched movies and stopped watching them because they were boring or uninteresting, unoriginal, whatever. Um, but to stop a, a, a suspense-driven movie, whether it's a horror movie, a thriller, and then to do something mundane in the middle is <laughs> insanity to me. <laughs> you threw away the first 45 minutes to an hour of your life, um, and you're trying to, to, to sort of chase the dragon with the next hour of your life. Uh, just, just give up. <laughs> I, 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 open, I openly agree. It is not a good way to watch films, but it is a constant tendency we have whenever we're watching films. Because well, like when we're watching them at home on Amazon or Netflix or whatever else, we've gotten home at like 7.30. We have to eat dinner. We'll start the film, and then whenever dinner, like we're making a stew or a casserole or whatever else, whenever it's ready, we're hungry. We want to stop to watch it. It's just the worst way possible to watch a horror film, I would say, or any kind of thriller. 
I love that the food choices you come up with are stews and casseroles. With two examples, I thought of what we were eating that day of, you know, it is ready at a certain point and then you go eat it. Uh, stews are the worst example because they're, they're ready at a point and then they're continuously ready for the next <laughs> for the next like week. Take a couple hours to get ready. Uh, a casserole, yeah, it's fair, fair enough. You have to do stuff to, to stop it from being ready to overrun. Um, but a stew, that's a terrible example. Um, you, you know, you can also just rather than watching films, you can watch something you know cute and light, like you know some sort of series or docu series on Netflix, um, and not have to not be a great British Bake Off. Great British Bake Off, Queer Eye, something <laughs> that's like light or whatever. You can you stop. Yeah, yeah. Spencer, you could actually watch the movie Soup to Nuts like on a Saturday night between like three and six a.m. <laughs> Another option. Uh, Spencer, like the crazy thing to me, honestly, and I, I think I differ from from Lee and Levi here, is that you go back to it. Um, like I probably just be done at this point. There are lots of movies and and films that I've just gotten like halfway through or something like that it's just not that interesting i feel like i should finish it out and then i sometimes do but it's more like a chore at that point like i'm just not enjoying it anymore but i feel like i have to complete this and i feel like you know this about me spencer um because you spent like a couple weeks of your life and trying to uh get some achievements in halo with me um and and so it's just like i feel that need to to finish something out and so uh, call out to our other podcast, like, it pains me that I still have not gone back and finished Lord of the Rings. And I know I'll get a lot of hate for that, but it, it just, I just couldn't finish it. And I know at some point I need to go back and just finish reading it out. But, but I was just so done. And it still pains me that I haven't finished that. But I just, like, the, I'm not invested enough to not eat for, like, another 45 minutes to an hour it's just so weird to me that you're invested enough to then come back to it. Well, but also think about how he just explained, like, this whole situation, which was we get home at 7.30. Yeah. We have to make dinner. And then we start watching something, and then we're so ravenous, we just have to stop it and eat. Like, this whole experience is not casual. Rather <laughs> bored to This is, this is yeah. very weird. Like, it's not like I've, I've gotten home and I'm comfortable. This is wire hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, for a person who has done so much self-control in life, right? I mean, you don't go through law school without being self-control. <laughs> Make it first. Brady got through law school. Wait, wait, that's why they used to be casual. Wow, Lee. So, so the other thing that I want to say, Spencer, is like you're probably one of the few people of our age that seems like they're unwilling to eat in front of the TV. No, we, we regularly eat in front of the TV, which we have our own little TV trays. The reason I use the casserole, for example, is... TV <laughs> trays. Yes, of course you have TV trays. <laughs> TV trays so you can put your casserole and your strawberry oh milkshake. This is on a recliner with the TV tray here. With the, you, with the with your strawberry steak and... Uh, <laughs> Cream of corn casserole. <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> oh, can I offer? Uh, you started this on sports. Can I end it on sports? I've got a couple stories to tell there. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Uh, you used hockey as an example. Um, I am so little invested in hockey, and I feel like the city of Charlotte is so little invested in hockey that I wore a shirt announcing the last time the Carolina Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup. 
um, for a year and a half without ever realizing that they'd won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> My mom had gotten it from a business event, and I just, you know, you know me, I just threw on a shirt. And I wore it for a while until about a year later someone pointed out and said, oh, yeah, they won the hockey event. It's like, well, what are you talking about? It's like, the hockey shirt event? <laughs> Again, Charlotte. Nobody knows the actual the term Stanley oh, Cup. Yeah, there was a hockey event earlier. <laughs> Um, exactly. but, uh, tied to your example of just how little invested I am, but a story that we shared at your house, Lee, of a sport that I would never imagine watching unless I was surrounded by friends and a little bit drunk, um, competitive uh, walking. That what? was an oh, epic God. afternoon. That was, a big, that was a real epic afternoon. And that wasn't that was my it. house. That was that was at the uh, the shared apartment with uh, Levi and Josh. Yeah, Yeah, that was a little court, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's an example of something of where it's the tr- it's the trash hours of the Olympics when they're just putting on events that no, they don't really expect anybody to watch. It was like 3 p.m. in the afternoon or something. And we got really remarkably invested in the competitive walking. Like, you know, yeah. watching the slow down footage to tell when everybody was cheating kind of thing. Yeah, I was really into it. And that was the one where I got I got suspended from Wikipedia because I I some guy fell over and I updated his <laughs> Wikipedia and said that he died. <laughs> but he didn't really die. <laughs> I just—I was trying to look. I was trying to break the news. Look, I was trying to get out in front of it. But I, I offer that as a great example of how almost anything can be entertaining if it's shared with people that you enjoy and find entertaining. Oh. And competitive walking is in the category of things that I would never imagine watching solo. But with you guys, it made for an incredible afternoon. I feel like as a group, we get up to like really weird things sometimes. Oh yeah. Well, and, yeah. I think it's true. I mean, we're we're recording a podcast. We're drinking whiskey at eleven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that is true. Um, it just reminds me of uh, before Doug went into the military and he needed to, uh, I believe it's run two miles in under 15 minutes. And this is when you were still in Glen Lennox. And um, I'd come out to visit and Doug was coming over and he was still training for it. And I convinced way too many people to go on a drunken run in at like 8 p.m. through like the neighborhood of Glen Lennox with, I think we, I, I had a beer in my hand. I don't know how many other people, but I feel like we had like six or seven people doing like a, a two mile run and it was completely unreasonable. Yeah. You also took a photo of yourself drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so, so Bree, my, um, my current, my, my girlfriend, and I was about to say current girlfriend. That's weird. Ooh. Um, <laughs> for now, uh, saw that as, I don't know if it was my profile picture, but it was in, in my history of profile pictures, and she was just like, mm, I don't know about this guy. That seems real trashy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, fair enough. Doesn't have a lot to do with my life right now, but but yeah. I, I, well, I mean, that's pretty fair, right? I mean, you were like drinking I had a Bud Light, a cigarette, and, and, and that's essentially all that's in the picture. Yeah, not good. Um, so before we continue too further, sure. um, I'd like to move on to the other whiskey and I'm actually going to make Spencer, I'm going to make you do a little research. So you should look at high West whiskey high West? and okay. the, uh, whiskeys that they put out. And I want you to guess what whiskey this is. Yep. HWC. Because it is specially for you. All right. I'm on high Highwest.com. I like this. BJ gave Spencer homework. I did. <laughs> make me insert my age. I'm already annoyed. Yeah. You have to make sure you're not a youngin. 
There's a question. When you guys have to insert your age on various sites, do you actually type in your real age, or do you just I do. type in a date in 1900? January 1st, and then page down on the year. <laughs> Whatever year is beyond the, the uh, deadline. <laughs> I feel like that question is like really says a lot about a person. <laughs> like, weirdly enough, like Levi just went most efficient. PJ, and I'm with you, PJ. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll just put mine in. And Spencer, you just lie, but your lie is like incredible. You're like, yeah, I'm 118 <laughs> years old. <laughs> He also he also likes that as a backstory to it. Like he he's got a name, a character, a history. Um, oh yeah. If they I, if they're asking you what's your who, who what's your cousin's name, uh, you'd have a story behind it. Yeah. Um, are you joking, Levi, or are you just recounting what I actually do? Because yes, I I I oh my God. the story on the fly. <laughs> I'm doing that for my amusement. Spencer, sometimes I think we know each other pretty well. So I think so. Yeah. Uh, BJ, I've got four different options here. Is that all they have, or do they have more? Oh, there, there are quite a number of options. Um, Didn't answer the question. Uh, let's try other product. Were you looking just on bourbon, or were we looking on whiskey? Whiskey. Okay. They're, they're, they're categorized differently. They are. Because all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. Boom. Uh, the, only, the only bourbon I'm seeing immediately on the site is American Prairie Bourbon. Uh-huh. No, but it, this is a whiskey. All right. Other Not products. just a bourbon. If you go, if you go, if you There's hover over campfire. drink, Please there is one called campfire. This is campfire, especially okay. for you, Spencer. <laughs> all right, let's try the campfire. Well done, DJ. Well done. I saw campfire, and I was like, all right, well, we have to do campfire, and we have to do, and and I figured we'd do two of High West whiskeys. So, so literally, this entire uh, episode purchase and effort well, was put into West. to. Uh, Give Spencer some campfire. Okay. I, I'm excited. I want to Whoa. taste the campfire. I do smell a little smoke there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Spencer, you're not going to like this. Not at all. Really? I feel like of, of the whiskeys that is in that genre, this is not... This is a very mild offering. In that Spencer's nose just, just wrinkled a little bit. Yeah, I like the first one better. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is this present to you? I give you two bottles of this. I, yeah, I wonder why. I wonder why there were three in my container. Yep, I give you an extra helping of campfire. Yeah. So next time you do Mangum Reads, like drink that. Yeah. Oh God, I'm doing campfire while we talk fifth season. Yep. So, so uh, instead of safe, it is unsafe. Uh, it, it is not repellent. Yeah. It, it is smoother than I expected it was going to be from what you guys were saying. But, yeah. Uh, it, it's got an a, it's got a kind of aftertaste and it's got a throat burn that I'm not fond of. Throat burn. It's got a throat burn. Yeah. I'm using words. These, these are the words I have. I like the words that you have. Well, I got to tell you, BJ, I really like it. As do I. What? Like, it's, this is really good. Yep, it's smooth. Um, I think it's well blended. So the price point on this is around seventy. Um, yeah, so a little bit. It sounds about right. More what you'd expect. Um, and oh, I feel like I should get Spencer to read this, but but he doesn't have it in front of him. What's There's that? a whole story on the back of this label. Uh, I've got it here, I believe. I was going to write something Spencer. cheesy about cowboys. Uh. I'm going to, I was going to write something cheesy about campfires and whiskey, but I figured you might be more interested in how campfire whiskey came to be. One morning at the, pronounce that word for me, Bridget, 
Brees got up I'm, and left. He, <laughs> he literally might drop our audience. Anyway, go ahead, Spencer. B&B, my wife and I smelled peat in the air. The great ladies that made our meals were simmering a bottle of peated whiskey and sugar. Later that night, they brought, a, they brought out dessert, ripe honeydew dizzled with peated syrup. That was the most unusual, delicious, and memorable ending to a dinner I've ever had. The combination of melon and sweet smoke really worked. So, naturally, I thought, why not mix sweet bourbon and peat? The main flavor of Melody is a sweet honey from a ripe bourbon. The enhancing flavor of Harmony is floral, fruity spice from mature rye whiskey. The accent, Sachmo's gravelly voice, is a smoke from a peated scotch whiskey. The proportions, top secret. See HypeWest.com for technical details and sourcing. I'm here. Um, so as the sun sinks low and the cold settles in, grab a bottle of campfire whiskey and gather around a blazing fire to warm up, wind down your day, share stories, and deepen friendships. One taste of the sweet, sweet, spicy, and yes, smoky whiskey. You'll know how it got its name. Uh, <laughs> it continues on for about three more sentences. Shall I finish it up? Or do we, we, is that enough for you? No, keep going. Okay. We like to enjoy campfire whiskeys with s'mores or looking strangers. If you find yourself in old town park city, you ought to come visit the High West Distillery and Saloon to get a taste of our western hospitality and our crowd pleasing things. Very nice, Spencer. So one of the other things that I'll mention is these bottles are really weird. It looks like they're air bubbles, like in the bottle itself. It almost looks like flecks of uh, dust or dirt. And like when I first saw it on one of them, I was like, huh, I wonder if uh, this is a mistake. But no, it's in uh, all their bottles. Yeah, no, this is really good, BJ. Like I, at 70, I would, I would probably buy this regularly. Uh, it was in my ABC store. Uh, um, BJ, you actually raised a question in my mind um, when you mentioned the uh, tracky activities uh, that people like to enjoy and share. About three of us are from North Carolina, and one of us has spent many time, uh, a lot of, lot of time there. Mm-hmm. Who here has actually been to NASCAR Live? <laughs> we have, I have that one seems on point, and Levi Mutter might not be raising his hand, but... <laughs> Fuck you, BJ. Um, <laughs> I have not, uh, but I think it'd be fun. It's actually a lot of fun. So I've been to multiple races. I've been to Darlington, I've been to Talladega, and I've been to Richmond. Um, and the great part about NASCAR races is that it's BYOB. Like, you can just bring in a cooler of whatever you want. Like, they don't care. So it gets a little sideways, obviously, because it's like a four-hour event. Uh, and you got people who brought in their own like natural So then the fun part becomes navigating all of these weird redneck trucks. You know, like if you can have fun with it, but also if like if you fuck it up, you can get hit in the face. So like it's kind of so figured out. Have you been in the? There's a name for it. I can't remember the center, midfield or center field. No, like no. You have to have a, for it. generally you have to have an RV for that, and you buy a pass. And you usually okay. stay overnight. I always go up in the stands. And me being from Charlotte, I've been to the Lowe's Motor Speedway. I've been to the NASCAR. There was, a, there was a car racing event that he went to. <laughs> I, I would cite it among the first and foremost sports of where it is such a remarkable experience, such a more fun experience being there live. Now, watching on a television Do the horseless carriages like still amaze you? They amaze me much more watching them live and hearing them and experiencing them in that way than just seeing them on television. 
Yeah, seeing on television, it can get boring pretty quick unless you're just enjoying a meal or it's part of a party in the background, maybe. But watching it live, you're actually invested. You're enjoying a crowd experience and enjoying the feeling of the race more. And so, Spencer, I, question mm-hmm. for you. Like, the thing that always really stuck out to me is how impressed I was with the pit crews. Like, I mean, that's like, it's a, it's a real, like kind of athletic feat, what these guys are doing. Like I I always watched, you know, the pit row, um, and all of this, this pit stops, how they like change four tires in like 15 seconds or some nonsense. Like that, that was a lot of fun for me to watch. That's that is true. I mean, that the level of skill, level of coordination to pull it off was impressive enough to see on television, but seeing it live was just all the more amazing. So it's a, it's a weird thing to recommend because it's not a sport that I really enjoy, but it is a live experience and the experience of being at the Speedway, which was something I'd recommend. So one of the sports experiences that sticks in, well, I'm not sure I'd term it a sports experience, but it was on like Fox Sport Network. Um, that really sticks in my mind and was a shared experience that I just I can't imagine ever having again. Um, so Levi and I, when we were roommates uh, in Mangum Dormitory, for some reason had like Fox Sport Network on at like 8 in the morning on some weekday or something like that, and we were both watching it. And um, it was these couple of guys going turtle hunt. And it was, like, a dude, like, wading around in a swamp with, like, a leather bag or, or some bag that, you know, the, the turtles wouldn't bite him through. And he was describing how, you know, how you need to grab the turtles and quickly throw them in the bag not to get bitten. And it was just, it was the craziest thing to me, I guess, I'm a northerner, and I was just like, is this what the South is like? This is insane. And we watch this on TV, but this is awesome. Yeah, that's not what the South is like regularly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you're drawing a parallel to NASCAR with that? Well, I mean, yeah, both of a shared sport. No, those are two very different things. I mean, like, NASCAR is like a thing that yeah, like, yeah, can be respected but... objectively. You're talking about some guy chasing turtles. Like, <laughs> I am. No, no. I was going back to the shared sports experience and watching something. And I just okay. vividly remember sitting and watching this with Levi and just being like, what is going on here? And just both, I assume, I don't know if you remember, but enjoying stop, it. Stop backing down. Both of these are the same amount of sport as, as as each other. NASCAR is not a sport, and turtle hunting is basically not a sport either. They're both not sports. Uh, one of them is more advanced and like can be cool in a way. Uh, but yeah, cool. turtle hunting. Turtle hunting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I I didn't know where you were going, but as you described it, I have a very vivid memory of that <laughs> that situation, and uh, I didn't have the same uh, response as you as being like, "Is this what the South is about?" Because uh, 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 my I grew up in the South, and also know that every place is weird. Every place has weird people doing weird things. Um, it's the same principle that I live by in terms of eating food, which is I will eat any food that a culture regularly eats, not some weird shit. Right there with you, like eighteen to twenty-five year old males will eat. Uh, on a dare uh, in in Thailand or Laos, like no, that's not food. Uh, that's that's stupidness. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it it was a experience. It was the vein of it was a very weird event, uh, and it was surprisingly enjoyable to watch together and laugh at the absurdity of the situation, um, which is NASCAR. But well, wait, wait yeah. a second. So you, Levi, by your own admission, you've not been to a NASCAR race. Uh, that's true. 
Yeah, Spencer, you have. I have. Uh, Spencer, would you say um, that you were more impressed with the actual race in a NASCAR race or, or what these guys are doing uh, after you went to the live event? Yes, much more. Yeah, me too. And so, Levi, like, I understand the shade you're throwing on NASCAR, but I do think if you went, you'd probably still throw shade, but probably not as much. Because it, it's, it's the thing. That's it's just not the case. Like I, I, we can agree to disagree there because I have appreciation for the oh the, that's the only way you can we can adjudicate velocity of um, you know um, a pianist uh, it doesn't mean it's a sport it's very challenging oh no I understand activity I, and I actually agree with you I, I'm not sure it's a sport but I do think that if you went you would and maybe I'm wrong about this but I think you'd leave and you'd go oh wow well that was a little bit more than I expected. So, uh, Mangum NASCAR outing? Let's do it. <laughs> That'd be fun. Levi, you're going to have to leave Boston for that. I don't think they go Boston. <laughs> isn't there like yeah. a NASCAR in Boston? I feel like they should. No. I don't know. No. Not in Boston, but isn't there like a track in like New Hampshire that's popular or something? I don't know. I, I don't feel like know. there's a road track. It seems like the right place for, for NASCAR in, in the north. There is a road track up in New England somewhere. That might be the one you're talking about. I, I just vaguely have a memory of like knowing where NASCAR tracks were and, and, and finding some some place or one of the tracks that was an out of the way place. I think it was like I think it was New Hampshire or Vermont. Um, you called it the New Hampshire Motor like Speedway. You, you said yeah, like it's, it's it's yeah, I, I used to just know where where NASCAR races were. That you know that was a piece of knowledge that that was useful to me at some point and like I just had. I never hey, went, but hey, hey hey BJ, we both went to college, right? Uh, yeah. So we both spent time reading random Wikipedia pages because we were bored. Um, th- there's a lot of information that I used to know that I don't know any longer. I, I, I know. I, I just think it's – I'm just amused by it. I know Spencer still does read Wikipedia pages on a regular basis and, and very, very randomly. Do you um, not? I do, but not in, I assume, the way that Spencer consumes them. <laughs> yeah, at 4 o'clock in the morning. Also, you don't remember them, whereas, like, I don't either, but I, I will read them. I'll read a, a listicle on, on Wikipedia forever. Um, you know, the most expensive building projects. Yes, we can. We can read those. And, <laughs> you know, rent's too damn high. But. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, Leo, I answer your question. There's actually four uh, NASCAR speedways that are north of the Mason-Dixon line, it looks like. Okay. Where are they at? Uh, in Luden, New Hampshire, in Watkins Glen, New York, in oh, Long Pond, Pennsylvania, and in Brooklyn, Michigan. Brooklyn, Michigan. I was going to say Michigan makes a lot of sense. A, a lot of sense to have one. There's also ones in Illinois and Indiana, but you know I'm trying to match the latitude line, and it's close. Well, Watkins Glen is actually very fun. That's a road course, and so hmm. like everybody always shits on NASCAR, like okay, you turn left, turn left. Yeah, silly criticism. But road courses, they're actually all over the place. Hmm. So, so Spencer, is the Pennsylvania one in like the Pennsylvania region, or I can't I can't guarantee the accuracy of this map because it has the you know Charlotte or Lowe's Motor Speedway roughly about where Asheville is. So I don't think they're necessarily drawing their okay. dots perfectly accurately. Fair enough. It's it's much like. Um, when you're on flights and they have the uh, heads-up display where they, they tell you where the plane is, I just love watching that on repeat. And there's there's typically three to four views of the plane. One of them is sort of maximally high. And in that situation, the plane is 
a thousand miles long. And I love just envisioning a scenario where the tail is in Toronto and the head, <laughs> and the head is in uh, West Virginia. Uh, <laughs> we haven't Googled this, BJ. It's directly south of Scranton. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, nice paper company, man. <laughs> so in long flights, do you guys also just look at the map of where the plane is? Because Constantly. I feel like that's just like the, yeah. the weirdest thing to look at because it's absolutely no information. And it also reminds me of like the number of times that I've spent on like Google Maps looking at just like random places in the world and like small islands and small towns and cities just like in the middle of nowhere and just being like, oh, what's there? Like, you know, wh what do people do there? What has ratings? And why are they, why are they rating like... A, a church in, on Marshall Islands and, and so poorly. Like, this, this is silly. So on that vein, I mean, I, I definitely love um, looking at the towns that the very Zoom levels call out uh, because they don't make a whole lot of sense to, to outside observers, right? So, like, when you're flying into RDU, to, to Raleigh, uh, the mid-level Zoom will give a call out to the cities of New Bern and Elizabeth City, which are inconsequential cities in the grand scheme of things. But those are clearly the sort of largest cities in the area, uh, which we are both from Elizabeth City, for, for listeners, uh, Terry and I. Um, but they clearly just like have some algorithm where they just say, this is the biggest city in the area. I guess we'll give a, a pointer here. Uh, so I, I wonder if that's where like I think major... Uh, sorry, BJ. I think they use the same database that like local news, like weathermen. <laughs> Right, because when I'm watching local news, like here in Durham, they still call out Newburn and Elizabeth City. I'm like, why the hell does anybody <laughs> in Durham care what the hell the weather is in Elizabeth City? I was going to say, like, maybe air traffic controlling or something like that, if there are, like, major places there that also have radar. And so given that Elizabeth City, I believe, is a Coast Guard. It is. It is. That's, um, that's a good explanation for Elizabeth City, but what about Newburn? There's nothing there. I, I don't know minor like minor places in North Carolina. Maybe Ooh, it has something else. Not, like I don't know where it doesn't. The like zones are. Practically speaking, practically speaking, once you go like a line of longitude from Wellington North from Fayetteville, what other major cities or even largest cities are there east of that, other than New Bern, basically? It's not, it, it gets pretty. Wait, wait, wait a second. So what? What's your question? So east of uh, Fayetteville? Yeah, east of like a line from you know, Wilmington going north through Fayetteville, New Bern's pretty much the largest city that is over there, isn't there? I mean, is there anything else? So you're saying, so you're drawing like you're carving out northeast North Carolina because you're 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 excluding Wilmington and that whole. Yeah, area. basically just drawing a line north south going from Wilmington north, going roughly through Fayetteville, basically, and then what east of that is would you would you deem a a, a city basically? Okay, so you can't go north south from Wilmington to Fayetteville. That's that's. Basically, <laughs> east to west. There's the easterly direction there, but okay. Okay, so uh, so in Almanac, East North Carolina, then yeah. Well, well, Spencer's East. most recent Almanac that he regularly references has the Dan buys me for Christmas every year. Does he really? Yes, he does. Uh, he's so, Spencer, what I would tell you is that uh, this weird area that you've carved out, mm -hmm. I would say that the Outer Banks probably uh, is the biggest. You've got uh, Nags Head, Kill Devil Hills. In terms of population, no, though. Well, it, it's in terms of prominence that people would would recognize and understand that are outsiders and, and not from North Carolina. Yes, 
But well, in terms you of the group those municipalities together, they actually do have a pretty big population of folks who actually live there. But the problem is they're so desperate, right? Like every five miles, there's a new town. Yeah. 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 Is Greenville the most populous city that is east of Wilmington? Probably. Uh, we, we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> My sister went to Cambridge. This week on um, in North Carolina. Which, by the way, I love how you're taking the opposite approach here, Terry. Uh, last night we were talking with <laughs> a, mutual, a mutual friend, Josh, about like uh, school districts, <laughs> and uh, fuck you, Eva. <laughs> <laughs> tell the story. Tell the story. Levi just called me out very appropriately, but tell the story. <laughs> yeah. So the story was we're we're hanging out watching the Kentucky Derby, and afterwards. Uh, Josh was trying to convince Terry to, to, to move near where Josh lives, which is where another mutual friend, Adam, lives. Um, and he was like, well, they have good schools. And and Terry took, in my opinion, the right approach, which is, shut up. Shut up about your stupid good schools. Um, like, every school in the Triangle area of North Carolina is reasonably good. Yeah, they're better, better and worse schools, but, like, we came from a, a, a relatively rural area where we had one, two, or three AP classes um, that were possible. Like, we came from a pretty desolate area in terms of, of educational opportunity. Um, so stop that nonsense about good schools. Uh, you're, you're, this is marginal gains. Um, and also Terry's, Terry's response was uh, that he wanted his kid to grow up around, uh, it, uh, if I may correct, please interrupt me, um, Farmers and people from the projects uh, was the word that you used. Um, you wanted to have diversity in terms of the the background of those people, which I totally respect. Um, he, his basic you know, point is that people, his potential kid, if he, if he were to have a kid or when he has a kid, um, would need to be able to interact with a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds and navigate those social um, boundaries successfully, not just be cordoned off into a private school of people that are upper middle class that come from educated back backgrounds. Um, very fair point. But anyway, I was like, well, Terry, don't you want your kid to have, you know, potential opportunities to go to places, go to schools that aren't uh, ECU? And he was like, well, ECU is a very fine institution. Um, a lot of people get a good education there. And now he's taking the other direction because he's a contrarian at heart, even though he doesn't want to, want to agree to it. So, Eva, I would like to point out something. Uh, you are 100% right. Uh, I argued both sides of this on multiple days, and you called me out. So, fair point. Uh, I just called Greenville shit, and last night I was saying, well, Greenville's a great place. A lot of people get a good education. <laughs> <laughs> have no comeback. Um, yeah, it, it, is a, it, it is a broader like, – I think that's a very interesting uh, conversation that we had there, basically, because you and I had the same general approach, which is like – as long as the school's pretty okay, um, and, the, and the kids getting a pretty pretty good education, we don't need to like worry about margins uh, of whether they're in some elite company. Whereas Josh is very much a matter of uh, the kid needs to be uh, in a in a place that has the A for diversity, according to U.S. News and World Report. That counts as diversity, in my opinion. Um, which, by the way, Spencer, you would have loved this last night uh, when we were arguing. Uh, Josh was pulling up stats from U.S. News and World, World Report on these things and saying, well, you know, Leesville, Leesville uh, has, a, has an A for diversity. Um, he also, like, did not, like, caveat that very well. So, like, basically we were having this conversation, 
and Josh was like, well, I think our school district, uh, you know, has some, I, I don't know, I think it's, I think it's diverse. <laughs> he put his phone up in our face as we, as Levi and I were talking about something else. And he went, see, A for diversity. I was like, what the hell does that mean? Like, By the way, I thought you were going in a different direction. So Josh also literally said, and, and I love you, Josh, but um, he said, <laughs> you know, I know some of the homes in the area and they're like townhouses. Um, and he said that in a townhouse. That Sitting in a townhouse. <laughs> I live in a townhouse. The most bougie su- suburban, uh, <laughs> upper middle class family perspective of, you know, there are townhouses around here. Uh-huh. Oh, Josh. I, I, I love it because Josh has, like, very interesting perspectives. Because, like, I guess I have, if you want a school that, is feeding into the IVs, then go for a school that's feeding into the IVs. Like, you know, at what point do you really care about diversity? Like, if you're going to just go private education and, and go to a place that you're going to spend a shit ton of money and, you know, get, get your kid into, like, what you've decided is, you know, what the path that they should take, then, like, go for it. But I feel like he's, like, in this weird uh, nadir of, like, well, you know, they should have this and they should have this, and I'm not going to commit to one or the other. Well, on that vein, by the way, uh, when he was going about good school systems, I, I, I put it to him and said, hey, Josh, how's the arts program at Leesville High? Um, <laughs> he's like, I don't know. He was like, yeah, you're, you're talking about academics. Uh, you're talking about purely academics. <laughs> I like how you say, well, you're talking about academics, not like the arts, so whatever. And we like, but that, that, there are different measures of what is a good school system. Oh, yeah, completely agree. And it's one of those things that you're, yeah, it points out the sort of facade of a lot of parents nowadays, which is they, they sort of point towards good school, quote unquote, means good academics that can feed into a good university. That is the path that they're prescribing for their kid, as opposed to if the kid likes art, likes uh, sports, likes whatever. Um, like, you should get them in a school that, that, that maximizes that and, and gives them opportunity there, uh, as opposed to just academics, which most people do. So I, I get it. Um, but it was a, a good little exchange, and Josh was under, underwhelming in terms of his argument there uh, and wasn't prepared probably to. Well, actually, Levi, I think I bailed him out you know, in a way that actually insulted him, where I was like, well, Levi, we can talk about this all day, right, about what school system Josh's kids are going to go to. Ultimately, we're not dealing with the final approval, right? Like, we're just dealing with, like, the guy who, like, hears where his kids are going to go. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, we have absolutely no skin in the game, so we can have all of the opinions in the world, and, like, no, no, it's like, it, it, we, we're not arguing with the person who's making that decision. Like, Josh is just kind of, like, co-signing, like, sort of involuntarily, whatever that decision is. Oof. Oof. So you're yeah. saying he wears the Josh pants, not the, uh... uh well, I mean, you know, that, that, I would ima- I, uh, by the way, Josh, there's no way you've listened this far, but if you have, I love you. But I don't, I don't think he really makes that call. Uh, but I will point this out, though, that in, in, of course, we're all prisoners of our experience, right? Like, I'm just speaking from my experience. But in our organization, we've hired a number of folks who have gone to Ivy League schools, and they have all been complete train wrecks. Like, we've not hired one person from an Ivy League school in the ten, my nine, ten years I've been at RTI in our department. And we've hired a number of them that have actually been good. Mm-hmm. They all get there, and they're entitled. They don't know how to talk to people. They are te- have terrible communication skills. 
How are we defining Ivy League under these circumstances? Are we saying Duke is Ivy League, or are we saying no? God damn it, Spencer! No. Proper Ivy League. Proper actual Ivy League. Yeah. Okay, we just want to make sure. Yeah, we've had people from Yale, Brown. the term nowadays. What the fuck do you have here in your hand? What? What were you waving about? The scissors I used to cut open your package with alcohol. Why do you have them in your hand? Why do you have safety scissors? Actually, these are kitchen shears. The first thing I could find when I was running over here. Those aren't kitchen shears. Kitchen shears break apart so you can wash them independently. He's played independently. Break apart. No, those are those are the scissors that are in institutional, like you know, <laughs> where <laughs> waterheads live. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh. Okay, so that that reminds me. So so Lee, you might appreciate this. Um, so for for this season of um, Game of Thrones, I decided that I would watch it live because that that's important, and we can so we could talk amongst each other, and and I wouldn't get spoiled, and and I wouldn't do all of those things. So I got an HBO subscription. Why would you do means, that? I given you my password. Ah, uh, whatever. Um, I am watching Deadwood. Ooh, first time. Yep. Well, the first time sober and in order. Um, <laughs> Not the random episode of Salute Court. Yeah. Um, it's good though, right? Yeah, it, it's it's surprisingly it's good. Um, uh, well, not surprisingly. I, I I'd already seen a bunch of it. You give the recommendations, Lee. So I'm not going to cast stupid shade there that that has no basis. Um, and uh, it reminded me. So when I started watching it, um. And I actually did a, a little bit of an interview with him. Uh, my stepfather has a kind of uh, Deadwood-esque uh, coming to America story. And I thought you'd appreciate this, and I'm happy to uh, send you the audio to, to him for the story. Um, but, but I figured I'd bring it up here because it's such a great story, and you'd appreciate it. Um, so... Um, my stepfather's family is from Lithuania, and uh, his great-grandmother and great-grandfather, uh, his great-grandfather uh, basically taught in a religious school, and his great-grandmother ran a, uh, I believe, sort of spice-slash-general store. And so they sent out their children to do, uh, to basically different countries to make some money and, and so they could get out of Lithuania. Um, and his grandfather had a crazy background um, and ended up in South Africa during the Boer Wars. And uh, yeah, Spencer, like I feel like there's more that I need to go into for like various people. <laughs> That's background I'm interested in. Um, and Basically, they they set up in different places with different stores and made a bunch of money and got their parents out of Lithuania and got them to the U.S. Um, he took a trip, I believe, from South Africa to New York to visit his mother and ended up in a poker game because he liked cars and he liked horses. Um, in this poker game, he was doing fairly well. And uh, apparently, one of the guys that he was playing with to uh, make the pot even uh, tendered up the deed to a bar in Kentucky. To which his grandfather then won the pot. 
and so now he owned a bar in Kentucky. He then moved out, like, was like, all right, well, I need to go see my bar in Kentucky. He went out to his bar in Kentucky, saw the bar, uh, you know, essentially was like, well, I don't really know much about Tenny Bar, but I'm kind of out here and, you know, sort of got it running, sold the bar, uh, went into sort of a general, like bought a general store, got that up and running. Then he, his brother had a mining and general store in West Virginia catering to the miners. And that store wasn't doing so well. So his brother asked him to, or maybe cousin, his cousin or brother asked him to come out and get that business up and running. So he then went to West Virginia and um, got, and basically ran a general store catering to miners uh, dur during the uh, explosion of the uh, West Virginia mining. And apparently also had to deal with the Pinkertons coming in and settling some strikes and things like that. And, and so there's, there's this sort of whole history that's like, this is Deadwood. I mean, this is Deadwood in different states and like mm -hmm. different, different cities, different but era. like, this is, I guess, like part of my history now. And this is insane. I feel like you and Spencer should do a separate pod on that story. <laughs> <laughs> because I can make a PowerPoint. Interested, just because I think like, like, I think it would be very good, right? If you, you went through that story, actually shared the audio. Um, and then Spencer was allowed to sort of Wikipedia as he goes. Uh, I think it'd be really good. Yeah. Um, so I have that audio interview, and like I, I'm sure like anytime I'm home, Spencer like or, or if anybody else like has questions or something like that, like I don't know how much Eddie knows about like his grandfather's history, but I sure I'm sure he knows some, um, and I got some of it. Um, but some of the craziness that that came from that, which was really funny, was apparently he made a reasonable amount of money. And back in like the early 1900s, um, he basically was like, all right, kids, like I didn't have that much, you know, formal education, but like in the U.S. that's really important and like you need to go out and do that. So uh, choose some, you know, where would you like to go to college? You know, what, what are you interested in? And he, one of his uncles was very interested in engineering and he's like, all right, well, what's a good engineering school? Well, how about MIT? Like, why don't, why don't you go there? And, you know, you know, maybe we'll give them some money, like you'll apply, like, you know, we'll, do, we'll just get in there. And, and so he basically sent his children to, uh, one went to UPenn, one went to MIT, and then, and then his uh, daughter, my, my stepfather's mother, went to Goucher, which was one of the best, like, women's colleges in the country at the time. Well, yeah, so that deserves <laughs> a separate pod, obviously, because it is interesting. Um, I don't know, it's yeah. going to be dismissive. Um, but it, there's a lot there. I yeah. would point out, though, Spencer, I think we should probably do a Deadwood pod uh, when the new movie comes out, right? I've been, wait, new movie? Yeah, yeah. there's a movie. So I thought basically, it came out. Yeah, they did three. It, I don't think it's out yet. I think it comes out in a week or two. Um, but anyway, uh, basically, Deadwood went three seasons. And mm -hmm. when it ended in season three, the folks making the show were not told by HBO that they were going to be ending. So when you watch the last episode of season three, it doesn't seem like an ending. Well, all these years later, HBO finally gave them a like two-hour movie to wrap things up. It's interesting to see with HBO's original productions like Deadwood and Room that HBO really wasn't used 
concept of the budget needed to complete a show or plan out a show. So a lot of the really tough shows just ended abruptly or not completely or ended in an incredibly accelerated format because they just kind of cut the funding at the last minute. Well, they were also under that, that sort of um, construct of current subscriptions, right? They didn't have, like, the library. They didn't have, like, HBO Go. And now, where yeah. even though a show is not doing particularly well in prime time, if it is something that, you know, catches on, and people want to watch over time for years to go, like, like The Wire, mm-hmm. yeah. people get HBO subscriptions to watch shows like that. And so yeah. now they, they, they give uh, you know, shows a little bit more uh, runway than they used to. But and I think original content like, wasn't like a thing at that point. And yeah, like, so you know, people, yeah. Now, we get, now we get the two-hour uh, two resolution. Hour movie. We still oh. about yeah. I'm excited. That's yeah. I was going to say, like, I think it'd be interesting to do, uh, like, history of Mangum, like, you know, like, pers- like a little bit of personal family histories, because, like, I mean, we know a little bit about each other and, like, you know, where we grew up and stuff like that, but, um, I mean, Spencer talking about his, like, family burial plots, like, randomly in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina, that was just like, wait, what, Spencer? So, my family history just ranges from, you know, people dying of black smallpox in India while building major agricultural and industrial projects to observing a knife fight behind a hotel that leads to you becoming the, the president of the hotel of the, of the motel and hotel association to people violating embargoes of foreign countries to smuggle in drugs for disabled relatives. It's the deeper you dive into family, yeah. the more stories <laughs> you uncover quickly. So, so Terry, yeah. um, Let's just sidebar here, you and I together. Um, yeah, yeah. These these people have interesting families. <laughs> we do not. Nope. Um, no. Okay, they they it's, it's a farm plot in East North Carolina. Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. Nope. That 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 thought crossed my mind. It's like Spencer's talking about whatever the hell he's just talking about, and I can tell you, my family is like, well, they were farmers for a while. Uh, they were poor, uh, and then I came along. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm awesome. So, like, you know, history I mean, had an update. You know, to, be, to be, like, honest, like, in my family, like, I think I was the first person in my direct line to go to college. I certainly was the first to get a grad degree. And I think I was the first to leave the rest of the family. So, yeah, not that I'm awesome, but I am very, very different than the rest of them. Yeah. The rest of them, while they might be good people, I don't know. I don't really interact with them that much. Um, yeah, boring. Uh, yeah, in terms in terms of that sort of high level uh, storyline, I'm gonna have to do some research, Spencer, because I I don't think I can match you even remotely, uh, which I'm not uh, because it actually make shit up, Levi. Well, yeah, I, I could lie, but I don't do that because I'm a I'm a good person. Um, but yeah, so my mom is is very into genealogy now, um, and it is. So maybe it'll uncover some interesting things. I think the most interesting thing so far is that my family, uh, both my mother and my father's side, are very unoriginal when it comes to naming of kids. So there's a lot of people that are named the same that just happen to be born and die in different years. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of interesting stories there, Spencer, but I'll do my best to try to live up to your your great example of uh, (laughs) uh, that and then Borah Wars and apparently a Jew who lives in, in West Virginia, uh, which I don't think ever has happened in the history of time. But, <laughs> uh, Not for long. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess, like, I don't know. I think there, there are personal histories that, like, even going through 
a boring history going through an interesting part of history like would be of interest to me um whether it's of interest to anybody else anyway but but that that's clearly like a a separate project pod and and, and everything else um so before I, I turn it over to, uh, I think, Spencer and Levi for anything else that they want to talk about. I wanted to quickly touch on um, something that I thought about uh, leading up to this pod, which was there are a lot of things that I do by rote and uh, by, like, I've always done it this way, so, I, so I'm fairly set in my ways. But every so often I change it up and then like, it's like, all right, well, that's a permanent change in my life. And, you know, maybe I'll change it up again in like five, 10, 15 years, but like uh, something that, that then becomes a consistent part of my life. And so like some random weird examples is just like, like clothes that I wear for, for a really long time. I was in Spencer's camp where I always wore crew socks and that was what I wore and then I switched over to no-shows, and basically all I wear is no-shows unless I'm wearing formal uh, formal wear. And so th then I'm still wearing, like, a, a, a knee-higher crew or something like that. Um, same thing with underwear. Like, I know we all discussed in a previous pod of this where we pretty much all wear boxer briefs. Um, and, you know, there was a point in my life that I wore tidy whities and then I made the switch and, you know, never back. Um, but there are sort of other things that... Um, I've done where like I made like a, either a conscious or semi-conscious decision and it like shifted a major like generality in my life. Um, and I have like other weird examples and, and I know this is probably like delving into my like inanities, like the way I dry myself off on a towel. Like I've, I, have, I, I put the tag in the same place, like every time when I start. So like I'm using like the same parts of the towel and the same parts of my body, like every single time. And I know that's super weird. And, and Spencer's giving me a weird look. So, like I get that that's super weird, but what? that's something that I do. And that's something that's like a generality. And it kind of came up to the, out from uh, when I was wrapping a towel, like around my waist, I didn't like how the tag felt on me. So I like figured out a routine that would make sure that the tag wasn't like touching my skin. And again, I know that's super weird, but like it's a habit that I got into and I do it like basically the same way every time. And I've done this for like the past five, 10 years or even longer. I don't even remember now. My weird look was dedicated to me having you say that, pondering if I'm doing the same thing and then realizing I don't know if my towels have tags. I completed this, the thought in my mind. So I find this a very weird story. Uh, <laughs> I know it's a weird story, but I was trying to give examples of like things that I do by root, and some of them changed, and now they've become part of my routine. No, no, and I, I, I get this. Um, I will say in terms of this vein of, of conversation, uh, so, I, um, so I didn't know that I, I towed off weirdly until I started with my girlfriend um, because I had no one else judging me. No one else, you know, Terry, when, when he was at 828, wasn't, like, judging me. Uh, I, I towel off like a bear scratching his back on a piece of, piece of wood. I just wiggle, wiggle around it um, and sort of bring it down my body. It's, it, it's fantastic. Uh, that's, that's the story that I have in this vein here of, of, of toweling habits, which I think is probably the most boring topic con conversation ever. <laughs> Um, not. I mean, it's either boring or really not. I mean, 
I actually have something to contribute here, too. If we want to go into this. Oh, Please do, Spencer. Let's go. Yeah, I, I did not realize my telling habits were weird until Bridget pointed out that, you, Spencer, you basically dry nothing. You dry your face, your arms, and part of your chest, and then you go and lay on a bed and expect the bed to dry the rest of the rest of you. What? Ew! Didn't you understand this about yourself, Spencer? Why did you need a third so party to give response to that? Wait, why do you go back into bed? Because <laughs> he hasn't uh, yeah, this is I thought it was weird, where I would drive part of myself, think that was enough, and then just go lay on a bed, like browse my phone or read a Kindle for a minute. For a minute. No, you're you're doing that so you don't have to towel off. Like, <laughs> and I realize roll. that now you're doing a barrel roll in the. Oh God, your sheets are awful. For <laughs> <laughs> hearing this, I don't do that anymore because Bridget stopped me from doing it. Just like ruining our sheets, dry yourself, damn it. Disgusting mildewy sheets, Spencer. Um, oh, oh. God, I brought this up. Uh, well, so, so in that vein, uh, so in the package that BJ sent, so BJ sent uh, uh, sent three bottles of whiskey to Spencer. In in my package, uh, because BJ is an underrated, most thoughtful person in the world, um, he sent me little, he sent me little, um, little tongs to brush your teeth. Um, I don't know what they what do they call them. They they're they're like a. Toothpick and uh, floss things. Exactly. Toothpick and, and, and floss things, which, by the way, BJ, I've, I've gotten into a habit of brushing my teeth. Um, I'm a little disappointed. I've gotten over the point. I'm glad you got there. <laughs> I will say that I'm. I, I, it, it's hard to keep the habit going after you get over the bloody gum situation. Um, like, that was very interesting. That was fascinating. <laughs> um, but he also sent me a knife, uh, by the way. Uh, which apparently, BJ, you're getting into knives and how they work and how they fold and how they whatever. Can you please explain why you sent me a knife and, and why you're interested in knives? Uh, I don't have a good explanation for this, honestly. Um, so, um, I was looking at a new pocket knife and um, I saw that uh, company Spyderco had uh, something similar to a liner lock, um, basically ways of folding knives. And um, I was carrying a pocket knife a little bit more often, and I got uh, one that I could carry on a regular basis. And then I started looking at like the different options. And I, I don't know, I started thinking about like the mechanics of how knives are locked in place and how they fold. And I was like, oh, like I have some ideas that like maybe could work in uh, the mechanics of this. And I started reading some things online. And so I was like, all right, well, to start going into this, I should probably like buy the knives that are out there, disassemble them, reassemble them, like see how they're put together. And so I've started uh, going in and doing that and uh, playing around with different folding knives. And uh, I, I sent Levi one of the ones that I got looked at, took apart, and was like, well, I don't, and uh, I think I flipped out there for a second. Uh, I don't really want to carry this. I don't love the uh, finger coil, so rather than have this sit around my, my house, I know that Levi also likes having uh, sharp objects in his life, so I figured I'd send him. Thanks. 
Well, you say that, Terry, uh, but you've also given me a, a, a knife from Ethiopia uh, that has killed many goats. So you're I didn't bring to... you a goat-killing knife. Yeah, no. Well, I say yikes not because BJ's wrong, just because of your attribute. <laughs> so I, I feel like this also harkens back to my first impressions of Levi um, and sort of everybody's impressions of Levi when he brings out his, like, four or five-inch folder that he regularly carries with him, at least when he's around Doug. Um, so the first class that I ever had with Levi was um, a philosophy class, and um, I I don't know, like, I, I know a little bit of his background going to this class, but he was kind of quiet, but also would kind of, like, bust out really uh, interesting talking points, shall we say, to a uh, philosophy class that was a lot more focused on um, theory and uh, I would say putting together of arguments. And uh, in my mind, I was just like, this dude's like, I don't know, redneck terrorist or something. Like this dude is crazy. <laughs> he would show up in like cowboy nice and like CCCP like t-shirts and, and, and just, had had the Amish beard and was always scowling at everybody and everything no. and at like a 9 a.m., 8.30 a.m. class. By the way, I roomed with him the next year, and that was awesome. I like how you describe the class as being very theory-based. It, it's a philosophy of science class, which is the only reason why you, you'd be in a philosophy class. Right? You, you <laughs> theory. <laughs> fulfill a, a requirement, and you're like, okay, uh, I hate any of these requirements. Um, I like science. Well, what require, what so, thing cannot, what one class can I take that will knock out two or three requirements? So I took that philosophy class. I took um, electronic media, which knocked out like a fine arts and like one other. And then I took uh, history of the Middle East, which knocked out like another like. <laughs> I, I, I laugh at your history of the Middle East because I remember, remember taking the history of the Muslim world, um, both the, uh, the... History of the Middle East was basically the history of the Muslim world. Um, well, the reason why I laugh... Oh, your people came in there at some point. Yeah. Yeah, but, but the, the professor did not like talking about them at all. Well, BJ, you would have really appreciated me in, in, in the history of the Muslim world. So we had the ancient Muslim world and we had the modern modern Muslim world and, and the modern Muslim world uh, in one of the recitations, one of the talking sessions out, outside of the, the main uh, lectures for, for listeners. Um, I didn't see a particular reason why checking terrorist bombing schools was a problem. Um, and <laughs> Okay, I, I, I got to step in. So what Levi is saying here is not the official opinion of clarify that now. This is his opinion and his opinion only. Well, I was kicked out of the recitation. Um, <laughs> the, the, the TA said, hey, uh, Levi, can you uh, just go ahead and go, go home, um, and, and, and we'll meet again next week. Um, <laughs> literally, because I, well, it, it wasn't the school situation. Uh, it was more the mall situation. I, I made the argument, which was that you know if you pay taxes to the Russian war machine, um, you have a, a sliver of, of responsibility, culpability for the actions of that that, that war machine. Woo. I, don't, I don't really see why uh, you don't deserve to take the the blowback, the consequence of that. Um, and 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 I would say that the the very liberal um, population inside that that class didn't agree with me. Let's just put it that way. Uh, Nor did this podcast. 
they didn't find the argument persuasive. I still don't see why it's, it, 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 it fails in any regard. It's perfectly logical. Um, people need to, to, to wake up. Uh, but I was just out of that class. What? Did, did we, we just get radicalized? <laughs> <laughs> so, so our listeners might be able to appreciate why I thought some of the views that that Levi espoused, while are based in a very logical and very uh, maybe perhaps well thought out logical set of consequences that, that is at least somewhat contrarian, might without that background, because his comments in class were more like well, they have a point, rather than like, well, this is why they have a point. Uh, I, I will say that that class was perfect because the, the professor there uh, was absolutely fantastic of just taking those shit. Um, which, oh, yeah. Which is perfect for the class, which I, I don't know if our listeners have, have gone to philosophy classes. It's very common for people who smoke a lot of pot and listen to fish uh, to, to wax poetical about philosophy when like, academic philosophy is not that thing. It's it's more structured. Um and the professor there, um, Mark Lane, yep. he wasn't having any of this shit. He's like, look, this is philosophy of science, this is based on facts, this is based on like actual evidence and please shut it with your little half pipe uh, half picked ideas. Yeah. Um, he he shut it down real quick and a couple like a week or two into the class we lost I think like a third of the class. <laughs> Can I tell a story? Go ahead. So I took a class called, I believe it was History of Religion. <laughs> oh, um, oh, I took History of Christian Tradition. And, and I, I History like of I Religion. That after you, go ahead. Yeah, and so the professor um, did not tell us what religious persuasion he was. And his whole thing was, I'll tell you at the end. And so he went through all of like the, you know, the, the religious. And he actually went like way back, like this shit that I'd never heard of. And, uh, you know, religions, and he came to modern day, and we were just learning about all of these. And the class was very, like, interested in what his actual religion was. And we were, like, a couple days from the last, you know, class where he was going to reveal this. And there was this girl sitting next to me, like, clearly, like, you know, like, part of, like, UNC culture, right? Like, she had, like, the sundress <laughs> on and the boots and the whole thing. She's like, well, I wonder what his, his religion is. And I looked at her, and I was like, He's funny. He's a Jew. <laughs> everybody got mad at me. And I, everybody got real, like, annoyed with me. And then, like, you know, two classes later, he's like, actually, I'm Jewish. And I was like, cold, cold it, cold it. Trying to get me I, quiet. And then I actually had a, a one-on-one with him afterwards where we just had a conversation. And he was like, he, he was like, well, that's kind of offensive what you said. But um, you do stand-up comedy, and you've made this comment about me being funny. And he actually... Um, uh, he gave me a book recommendation for a book called The Haunted Smile, which is about how uh, Jewish people have been persecuted and use comedy to deal with that. Uh, and I still have the book. Uh, and it was like kind of a moment for us. So it was like one of these weird situations where like if you were just watching in, in the class, you would think I was being like a super offensive guy, but I actually was able to connect with this guy <laughs> about, about this, this thing. But yeah, no, uh, BJ, he was funny. Uh, he had black hair. He was a Jew. I think uh, we might have had the same professor, just for different things, because I took history of Christian tradition and Jewish professor, um, and I didn't do – that was probably the worst grade that I ever received in college. Um, I passed, but by the skin of my teeth. 
Um, Which is fair for a, a, a course on on Christianity. That's fair that you, you take that, BJ. That's execution. <laughs> um, I, I would say that that I feel like all of my classmates knew a little bit more about Christian tradition than I did, um, given that it was North Carolina and and uh, I was not a uh, church attendee, but but the professor was not at all sympathetic. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, it, it was kind of, uh, it was an interesting class. I did, I, I learned a surprising amount and every so often I, I bust out like knowledge that I learned in that class, uh, surprisingly when I, I've talked with other people about, uh, Christian histories and they just look at me and it's like, what are you talking about? Like, thing in Christianity, I'm just like, yeah, uh, never mind. So let me get this right. Like he died. He came, anyway, this is all very weird. <laughs> I was imagining a, a sort of different perspective, which is like me explaining to, to my girlfriend, who's Jewish, she's from the North, uh, who, who was raised around a lot of Catholics because she's from New England, um, explaining various denominations. A lot of tribes there. And a lot of like, sort of like just like Southern Baptists, super crazy about stuff. Baptists, a little bit less, you know, a little bit more chill, but still crazy about stuff. Methodists, super chill. Calm, calm down. Don't worry about it. Um, they don't like you as a Jewish, Jewish person, but you know they're chill. Um, Episcopalians, you know, they want structure, but they don't really like uh, those swarthy Italians. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just this rundown of, of various Lutheran, Lutheran, very isolated. Yes. Don't don't care. Like they're they're Catholic white. Um, but yeah, we have one of those in our main what? crew. Yeah. Yeah, Sarah. Sarah's a Lutheran. Oh, I was going to say Adam. No, Sarah is too. Hmm. Where was that? Still? Like we went to that wedding. I know. I forgot forgot what denomination was. You're right. They were Lutheran, weren't they? Yeah. Would you just like to have a casserole in a church basement? (laughs) No. we we, uh, Sarah's going to laugh at that, by the way. I I was going to say, so they had communion as part of the ceremony. And so. Catholic life. It's great. So they called up all baptized Christians. And yet. I'm being sarcastic. You like eating flesh and drinking blood? Well, no. It, the entire church, except for me, Spencer, and Joey, went up to get communion, and we're just sitting there. And it's like, all right, well, now what? Best like, story with, ever. With Josh like, getting up so and walking past us and just shaking his head at the Yeah. Room. It was just like, what is wrong with you guys? And just the entire church gets up, and, and then so like that's the end. So they have like a receiving line, and it's like, all right, well, do we do we get up? Like. You know, clearly, I guess they had never had non-baptized Christians or non-Christians at a ceremony before, so that wasn't, like, even part of, like, the instructions or anything else. It was just like, all right, well, everybody's going to get up and get communion and then leave, and that's what we do. And and we're just like, uh, what about us? We're the last people sitting in that church because everyone else had left and we were waiting for further instructions. Anyway, so sorry, <laughs> move on. Get back to your uh, defining all, pissing off all of the Christians by by defining them <laughs> in a sense or two. He's muted. Spencer is muted. I'm not muted. Well, I'm Levi's muted. Okay. All right. So he might be telling us a really interesting story, and we just have no idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we're we're reaching the end here. We are. Um, but I've enjoyed this. 
uh, yeah. slow going for me because of the Kentucky Derby party uh, last night, but I've enjoyed it. Uh, BJ, you sent us some very good whiskey, uh, particularly the second one is really good. Can you please Thanks, text Richard. me the names so I can... Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I can oh, I'm happy to send that out and uh, put that in with us. Uh, yeah, the second one is Campfire, um, at, at, to Spencer's dismay. Um, and uh, I want to give a, our listeners a little bit of a preview, and I don't know exactly when this is going to come up, because I know Levi um, is not going to make it out to Las Vegas um, together, but I'd like to do this as a semi-live pod. One of the liquor stores near me has... Um, I believe it's a, a Beam Distillery has a bunch of different grain bills and has like five five or six different bottles of whiskey with completely different grain bills but aged very similarly. And I figured we could grain all bills, grain bills. So you want to explain what that is? Yeah. Um, so for uh, whiskeys, basically you use a bunch of different grains and you malt them and then. Um, put some uh, yeast in them and, and it produces some alcohol and then they're distilled. And so with uh, bourbon, you have to have at least 51% corn. With scotch, you need to have uh, pure barley. And there are a lot of different whiskeys that are different mixes of different grains. Um, and a lot of people know about like Happy Van Winkle and uh, these really expensive whiskeys or bourbons um, and those are often weeded, so that means that they have some wheat in their grain bill. And so some portion of the uh, grains that they use to, to malt and, uh, and distill uh, really play a role in how these different whiskeys taste. Um, and so I figured having, um, and another example is rye, where uh, rye as a grain is uh, fairly prominent and that's a little bit spicier and, and has a different character. And so the uh, grain that goes into the whiskey is sort of really important to how something tastes um, in the end product. And so I figured with this, we could uh, really get into a little bit more of the character of whiskeys and the taste of whiskeys, along with all the uh, crazy stories that, that, that we like to tell. But I feel like this would, uh, we'll see right. when in the future we do this, maybe like when we're all together in the same place. Right. So you're, what you're proposing is a whiskey on the weekends in Vegas. I think that would be great. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything else you want to touch on uh, before we wrap up? No, I think we're covered. Yeah, we're good. All right, Spencer, let's me and you take a, take a knee, uh, and we'll come back after Game of Thrones tonight. For Reaction Pod, thanks, everybody, for joining us. I've enjoyed it. And the weekends. You can check us out at mangotalks.com or iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thanks for joining. See you.